From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Drugs, both legal and illegal, are constantly in the news and constantly presenting challenges to medical professionals as well as society at large. Today, we'll take a look at some drugs that have been in the spotlight in the past year and see what lessons medical experts might have learned. In the HealthLink on Air studio with me is Dr. Christine Stork. She's a toxicologist, someone who studies the safety and effectiveness of drugs, as well as a professor of emergency medicine at Upstate, and she serves as clinical director of the Upstate New York Poison Center. Thank you for being here, Dr. Stork. Thank you for having me. So in looking back over the past year, the practice of vaping has drawn widespread attention. Can you talk about that? What is, what is vaping? Yeah, so while electronic cigarette use are using um, a, a device to aerosolize vapor of uh, cigarette is, is what's been used for vaping. It's been used for a very long period of time. This is nothing new. However, in just about June or July, there have been these case clusters of people having a, acute lung injury that were surprising the medical community. So this has really been, you know, within the past year, even okay. less than a year ago. Last year, this time, we were not talking about lung injury due to vaping. And so we still have a lot of questions to answer about what's really causing this lung injury, right? Yeah, I mean, this has been a great coordinated effort between local and national departments of health, the CDC, um, as very, and other agencies to try to figure out what's going on. Because by far and large, you know, we have a lot of uh, young, otherwise healthy people that are having this acute lung injury that doesn't make a whole lot of sense from the historical use of vape products to try to stop smoking. And some of these are people that have just started vaping and some of them are people who've been vaping for a while, right? Yes. Um, again, vaping is not new. It's something that's been around for a while. Um, and again, this is a very new um, circumstance. It is in people who vape um, commonly. So it's not someone in their first time trying a vape device. Most of the people that have had lung injury are people who vape every day. So is this considered an outbreak in New York State at this point? Yes, or it's considered it an outbreak in both New York State and in the nation. So there have been, you know, I believe over 2,500 cases of confirmed um, acute lung injury after use of electronic cigarettes or vaping. There have been, I believe, about 60 deaths reported, maybe a little bit more than that right now, because, uh, you know, we just had our second and third case in New York State identified, but uh, it's still an ongoing process. The numbers have fallen a bit since their peak in September, um, but we still are seeing cases. What does this say about the safety of vaping in general, though? Because vaping was supposed I thought, supposed to help smokers kind of wean themselves off cigarettes, but now it's got this sort of deadly threat. Yeah, you know, it was interesting because the FDA is, has not produced regulation as to electronic cigarette or vaping devices because they wanted to learn some more about it. So as far as short-term use of the historical vape products before this outbreak in people trying to quit smoking, it it improves lung function relative to smoking traditional cigarettes acutely. So 
just regular things that it does. But we also know that using a vape device in a naive patient, someone who does not smoke, decreases lung capacity acutely. So it's not entirely mm-hmm. safe to use. The other thing that's very much unknown about vaping, um, even the historical use of vaping, and we won't know for many, many years, is what are the long-term consequences of vaping. So it has globally been used as a harm mitigation strategy. Again, it seems right now, as far as what we know, to be better than smoking traditional cigarettes, although on the long term, we don't know. And they do have nicotine in them, right? The Yes, the vape products, most of them have nicotine, even the ones that say that they don't have nicotine, many times do contain nicotine within them. It's fairly highly concentrated. So of the newer products that the teenagers, you know, have have been attracted to, traditionally about one pod of those is about a pack of cigarettes. Wow. So they're getting a lot more. Yeah, they are getting a lot more. And the vape fluid is also a health risk to small children, should they ingest that. I mean, cigarettes are a risk to small children, even in fairly low quantities. So in kids, one cigarette's enough to cause some toxicity in a small child, two cigarette butts. Um, But of this vape fluid, again, it's so concentrated. Remember, one pod, which contains a very small amount of liquid, is a pack of cigarettes. So even a taste, a lick, is enough to cause toxicity in a small child. Well, let's shift things a little and talk about unintentional poisoning deaths uh, using the drugs fentanyl and carfentanyl have caused a lot of unintentional poisoning deaths, right? In this area and in New York State, it's been largely a result of fentanyl. Most of our heroin or people who say they're using heroin are using either a mixture of heroin and fentanyl together in the death cases or fentanyl alone. And Tell us again, what is what is fentanyl? Fentanyl is, um, it's an opioid. It's an opioid analgesic. It's very, it's in the same classification as heroin. It's also used, fentanyl is used pharmaceutically for pain control. Oh, for pain control. Okay. Yeah. Can you explain what is an analgesic? Yeah, an analgesic is um, a, a drug, a pharmaceutical that's used to treat pain. But the fentanyl that is being sold illicitly as heroin Um, is not pharmaceutically diverted fentanyl. It is fentanyl that's being produced in other countries and being shipped to this country, very similarly to how heroin is produced in other countries and shipped to this country. It's more potent than heroin, so you don't need as much of a quantity to cause um, therapeutic effects, so larger, uh, smaller shipments are able to be scent and have um, kind of a large opioid effect and that's what they're looking for that's what heroin's an opioid and then carfentanil is carfentanil is an opioid as well it's um again so fentanyl and carfentanil are both synthetic opioids so they're not found in nature carfentanil is pharmaceutically used as an animal tranquilizer because of its potency it's very potent relative to fentanyl which is very potent relative to heroin um So the concern being that very small amounts of carfentanil would be required to cause significant toxicity in humans. Has the crisis in opioid use and addiction stabilized or subsided or otherwise changed in the past year? Um, There have been a large, there's been large advances, and there still needs to be more in harm reduction pathways for people who have addiction to opioids 
you know, there's more avenues for treatment. There's um, more use of buprenorphine or suboxone. There are, there's many legislative efforts to try to enhance availability of these harm reduction strategies to, you know, the use of naloxone acutely when people have, you know, acute effects due to heroin to keep them alive so that they can get into therapy. All those things have been really good things. Um, I think the problem of addiction to opioid is still alive and well. Um, perhaps some of these harm reduction paths have stabilized the amount of deaths. I don't think we're seeing a huge rise in deaths like we were seeing for many years. It seems to be about the same with maybe small increases. There's clear, clearly better recognition in deaths as to what the substances were that were used. This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with toxicologist Christine Stork from the Upstate New York Poison Center. Are there other drugs that are leading to um, overdose deaths? So, yes. Um, I guess kind of focusing more on illicit substances, I think it's important to remember that stimulant overdoses and deaths have not gone away and, in fact, are increasing. Stimulants would be like cocaine? Things like cocaine, yeah. Cocaine is prevalent in even in Syracuse, throughout upstate New York. We don't talk about it that much because opioid seems to have overshadowed a lot of the, the talk about cocaine, but cocaine is alive and well. Um, we're seeing also increases in use of other stimulants like methamphetamine and other chemically-derived um, stimulants. Okay. Are there other... Uh drugs of abuse that you're seeing at the Upstate Poison Center that have sort of emerged or re-emerged in the past year? You know, um, we do see a lot of the newer drugs of abuse, um, things like Kratom. Um, we were seeing not as much, but there is Tyaneptine is being used. There are some cases of that as well. So talk to me about what is Kratom? Um, so Kratom is in uh, a plant-derived chemical that has been used in other countries for years. It's actually in other countries, it's used very much like how we use caffeine. You know, hmm. so a little bit is being used and in very small doses, it tends to have a stimulatory effect, very similar to having your cup of coffee in the morning. But at higher doses, it has an analgesic effect and even an opioid-like effect. So in this country, people are buying it largely over the internet Using Kratom, it's not regulated at this point in time, and at very high doses, um, getting this a similar effect to other opioid analgesics. People who like using it say it helps them not to use other opioids, and it's still, it helps them with withdrawal symptoms and, and eases their pain. And it's an herb, so it's not really regulated. It's an herbal product? It's, a, it's an herbal product that is, um, yeah, it's not regulated. Can, are people overdosing on it? Yeah, we have been seeing cases of overdose on it. It has similar symptoms to opioids in the overdose setting. So people who um, take too much opioids and overdose on opioids, they tend to have mental status depression. So they go to sleep, hard to arouse, difficult to wake up. But the real problem is the brain shuts down to their drive for breathing. So when people die from opioids, they're dying because they just are not breathing and they don't get oxygen to their tissue sites. Now, the other drug you mentioned, tianeptine, I believe that's an antidepressant. It's an antidepressant in other countries. Um, it is more used for 
analgesic effects in the United States as a drug of abuse. Again, it's something that you would have to order over the internet. Is it, but it's a drug? It's a drug in other countries. It's not a drug in the United States. Is it legal to order it over the internet and get it in America? I believe there are no regulations. Huh. So what does it do? And are, are people mixing it with opioids? Or Again, very similar symptoms. Um, you know, I think people are trying to find a substitute for opioids. So thinking, I'll use this other chemical, it's so much safer. I think even within the United States, we saw pharmaceutical companies making those same, same large statements over the years. So tramadol is like the best example of that. So, you know, back when I was working in a pharmacy, I remember someone coming in and saying, oh, we have this new analgesic and it's not an opioid, so it's not addicting. So chemically, it's not an opioid. When you look at its structure, it doesn't fit into the classification, classification of being an opioid. But when you bring it into your body, it works on the same receptors. It does the same thing that opioids do. It has the same effects. Anything that stimulates opioid receptors, we have specific things that counteract with our opioids to cause clinical effects, are going to cause the same issues and problems as chemically, structurally designated opioids. So I think now there's been a kind of an enlightening for many people in that that particular drug that's not structurally an opioid, in fact, is just like an opioid and people abuse, uh, uh, misuse and have problems when taking too much of those medications. Are there any trends you're watching for in the coming year or years regarding drug use and poisonings? You know, I think we really have to keep our eye on, you know, this, the lung injury due to vaping. I think a lot is still unknown with regard to it. You know, what exactly is causing the problem? Is it that, is it the amount of use? Is it some of the excipients? So excipients being, being the things that are in a, a product that are not designed for drug effect, you know, so for example, when you take like a, a Tylenol, right? Very tiny shaving of that is actually acetaminophen, the chemical that you want for your headache. The rest of it's filler so that it looks like a tablet. You take it. So just like that in here, you know, the vape pod, that liquid, it's not 100% nicotine. There's other things in there things. to help it become a vapor so that you can inhale it and get the effect that you want, make it the right particle size, get into your lung the right way. And at least currently right now, we do know that in the uh, lung washings of patients who've had lung injury, they've only had 29 patients where they've had washed their lungs, but in 100% of those case, cases, they have found this vitamin E acetate. So currently, that's part of the, the thought that maybe it's this excipient, this non-drug product that's really causing the lung injury. It's not the nicotine itself. Um, you know, I think that so far, that's a good working theory. I mean, we do know it's in a lot of the products that have been affiliated with it. We know it's in those lung washings. The missing piece right now is what does vitamin E acetate do in lungs? You know, there's been no research. I suspect it's actively being researched at this moment. Um, and I'd be really interested to see because it would re be really nice to close that loop. Because so right now, you know, in public health terms, you'd say there's an association, but there's no causation. So as soon as that data is available, then we'll know a whole lot more. But vitamin E acetate is not contained in the jewel pods that you go buy. Oh. And it's not contained in other kind of regular store products for vaping. 
it's more what we're seeing it is a more the buying the bootleg pods off the internet because they're cheaper or buying THC or marijuana containing vape pods which people do as well so people have to figure out what to mix them in they're they're doing it in, in a very uncontrolled fashion and those are the products that we're finding the vitamin E acetate in so again we don't know yet but it, it, at some point, hopefully in 2020, we'll be able to close the loop on the causation of the vaping lung injury. Well, good to know. Thank you so much to Dr. Christine Stork. She's a toxicologist and the clinical director of the Upstate New York Poison Center. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.